If you turn to Matthew chapter 22, we're going to rest there. Um, it was such a beautiful intro. I'm so thankful for the way that Rob reads Scripture to us, and, and it's such a blessing. I, 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 we always joke about it between the elders that we have four, three to four sermons every Sunday between, between myself, between Rob, between uh, Raul, and uh, we try to we just try to preach and just share God's word with you. And so it's it's uh, as you can tell, it's passionate on our heart, our love for the Lord, and our love for His word. Following Him is is ultimately the most important thing in our life and in our in our work together as elders and as a church. And so, what a blessing to serve with them. Uh, our text is is a uh, is just following along. Uh, Rob read another uh, accompanying text uh, from the point of view of Mark, probably also Peter, as some believe that Mark was just transposing or just dictating things uh, down from the Holy Spirit via Peter, as uh, Peter was in prison. But also uh, Luke, if you, it's also found in Luke twenty, and uh, you can go to John as well. And the saying that Jesus says about taxes, about government, about things, this conflict that he is in. And you notice that there was this overarching conflict between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, also the Herodians, we'll talk about who they are. Um, But all through the ministry, there was this great conflict. And how did Jesus handle that? This summer, we're entering into, we're going to put Ecclesiastes aside for a while and the goal is, as we talked about our mission as a church, our mandate, which has always been the same from Genesis all the way through the end of the gospel, through the time that Jesus comes, is to go make disciples. That's our mandate, to acknowledge Christ, that He is Lord, and to obey Him, to teach the disciples to obey uh, Christ uh, and all the things that He taught. And so this morning... Uh, through the rest of the summer, there's going to be um, a couple of the other elders that share as well, is we're going to be talking about gleaning from the life of Christ, some of the things that we can learn that fit into what we're dealing with today. Um, just learning to model Christ, right, to, to follow Him. Modeling Christ is the most important, one of the most important things of our mandate um, as, as a church, as a body of Christ, is to follow Him. So it's important that we learn from him. And so this morning, I'm going to bite off a big chunk. Um, I have 13 pages of notes. I usually try to preach from eight. So I'm just warning you. I'm going to be trying to run through things fast. One of the problems with having a hurt leg was I had a lot of time to read. So I had a lot of time to pack more information into my head, which means I have more things to trip over as I try to share some amazing truth to you. And the idea here is, is I really want to piggyback off of what we started last week as we talked about oppression, as we talked about dealing with oppression, we talk about dealing with the culture, dealing with the things that we're seeing, um, but really we can learn a lot about conflict with culture. I mean, if you, anybody, I mean, you can be deaf and still see there's conflict. You can be blind and still hear that there's conflict. Um, It's not hard to realize that right now we are dealing with one of the most conflicted times in our society. There's a major shift in thoughts and in practice. There's a major shift in what people believe holding others accountable to 
um, and how to do that. There's a major shift in a lot of things. So there is major conflict. Part of that comes out of a philosophy that was in the school in Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, Frankfurt, Germany, a school of philosophy. There was a, there was a guy there uh, that proposed that in order to change a society, it had to be done through conflict. Um, and it was, it was liberation the, um, philosophy. And now, uh, a lot of churches have uh, espoused it as liberation theology. And the idea is to create conflict between classes or ethnic uh, people, and whether it's class or whether it's ethnic, or, and they divide it into the haves and the have-nots. That's the basic premise of what we're seeing today espoused in critical race theory, or you'll hear the term CRT, and they're trying to teach this to our kids. The idea is, is to destroy all the fundamental things in society so that in that way, the class that destroys the most or the ethnic group or the have-nots that destroy the most then become the most powerful. And it's really, it's a really a group of stealing one from another. And it's an amazing philosophy to study. Um, like I said, I've had too much time to, and I have my brain feels like it wants to pop. But, I, so learning from Jesus and how he dealt with this is very important as we look at what's going on around us. Because the truth is, things are just not good. Which is, should be no surprise because God said there is no good, Right? So it shouldn't surprise us, but how do we deal with it? And I really hope that um, this would be foundational and build and be joyful uh, as you approach the things that we see going on today. Well, would you pray with me and ask God to bless His Word? We already read in Mark, but I want to read to you in uh, our text today that we'll be going through, and that is Matthew twenty-two, fifteen through 22. Lord, I pray that as we read, that your Holy Spirit would do the job and instruct our hearts. Thank you for providing the Holy Spirit for those that you have saved, those that have confessed and repented, turn to you and say, Lord, you are my everything. You are the one who reconciled uh, my sin, that paid for it, that redeemed us, bought us back. You are our creator. You are our master, our Lord. You are our Savior from our sin. Thank you for that. And I pray now that the gift of the Spirit that you give us would teach us and open our eyes to a familiar passage and that we might grow and be strengthened from it. We praise you for your Word and how alive and active it is to meet the needs of the day, of our, the, the problems that we face. We thank you for your complete and holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 22, in verses 15 through 22, um, it's interesting, the struggle of authority, as Rob said, that is part of what we see going on. Who has authority? Does God have authority? Does religion have authority? Uh, Does government have authority, right? Conflict of the day. Verse 15, he says, Then the Pharisees went, and they plotted. Some of your translations might say counsel. They went and had count, they counseled with one another. But they plotted how to entangle him, entrap him in his words. Sounds familiar. 
It's just like today. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Hmm. Sounds a little odd, right? We already know that they're going to try to entrap him, and now they're flattering him. Verse 17, tell us then what you think is lawful to to pay taxes to Caesar or not. Basically, they're saying, is it lawful? Is it good to give to Caesar taxes, or is it not good? You know, so what's, what's, what's the best? Verse 19, or verse 18, he says, But Jesus, aware of their malice, he knew their heart, is the idea here, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? It's a crazy. He didn't even answer them, and he just calls them a hypocrite. Actually, he leveled them. It's a serious accusation. It's one of the most serious sinful accusations during the biblical times you could level on anybody that was religious. And he said, after leveling the accusation, he says, now show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Denarius is like a day's wage. Uh, Usually it was a gold or silver coin. Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Now pay attention to this. He focuses on the likeness in the inscription, and it's not by chance. And, he's, and they said, well, Caesar's. Both the inscription and the likeness was both Caesar. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the idea here is also render the things that are God's. That's an interesting statement. When they heard it, they were marveled and astonished, and they went away. That's a pretty intense and interesting encounter. It was filled with major conflict in multiple areas. Did you notice their focus in verse 15? You look down, we're going to just kind of plot down through here and as we go to it through our introduction, and that is they counseled or they plotted. They, they were looking for mutual support and ideas on how to entrap and snare. The idea is like, how can we lay a good snare, choosing their words carefully that they might hinder Jesus? They, the idea, they wanted to get rid of Jesus. They couldn't stand Jesus because he talked with authority. He claimed to be from God, to be God, and he proclaimed God's word. They did not like it because it was taking away from their authority. If you notice in the parable that Rob read in Mark chapter 12, every, they kept sending a messenger after messenger after messenger to the fields to describe all the things you know, that the owner of the field wanted the people to do. And they kept killing them or dest- you know, destroying them or sending them away. And that's what happened through the whole Old Testament. Prophet after prophet after prophet coming and speaking God's word and Israel mistreating God's messengers. Ultimately, they sent, God sends Jesus as the ultimate messenger. And we know what they did. They destroyed him. They killed him. Sent him to the cross. And of course, that was God's plan. 
You notice their focus was they didn't like this. They didn't like that Jesus had authority. They didn't like that Jesus drew crowds. They were like, they're taking away from us. Let's destroy him. Look at the approach, the cultural approach in which they took. They took, uh, their, their approach was all different parts of the trap that they were laying for Jesus. Starting in verse 16, they sent their disciples to him. Do you see the phony deception? They didn't even go, right? They were like, if we go, Jesus will know we don't like him. So we're going to send our disciples, people they haven't seen, to ask this question. Do you see the deception, the snare in which they were going to lay at Jesus? So they not only sent the disciples, but they sent the Herodians. They're like, well, who's the Herodians? I want you to notice the foes. There was the Pharisees, there was the Herodians, and then there was the Sadducees, each one of them having their own part in this conflict. The foes, uh, the Pharisees, by the way, they were separatists. They were Jews that were totally opposed to Roman occupation. They hated the Romans. In fact, a lot of the Pharisees, the religious rulers that made up the Pharisees, had formed a group that were considered, they're called the Zealots. They turned into, a lot of them turned into the Maccabees, like in between the, and they were a lot, part of them were part of that Maccabean era between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They hated any form of occupation and they believed that only God ruled, but yet they never gave God authority, which was interesting. They really wanted to rule for themselves. So that's the Pharisees. The Herodians were also a Jewish political party. So we have a religious party and we have a political party. And this political party, kind of like what we would have with the the, uh, Democrats and the Republicans, and this uh, religious party, Herodians, were given authority by the Romans to rule. The Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, they were the, the Herods and the rulers over the governor of Israel. And Rome gave them the governorship and the authority to rule. And they were made up, so they were people that followed Herod. They were people that believed in Herod, that loved having authority with Herod. And so this group was this political party who sympathized with the Romans. They loved the Romans. Everything Roman was good. So we had anti-Rome and we had pro-Rome. And you're like, wait a minute, why are these two people coming together? Well, simple, they both hated Jesus. They hated Jesus because of his authority and the way he drew crowds. It's pretty amazing. So they come to entrap Jesus. But we had the Sadducees. You don't really see them in this group. The Sadducees were also a Jewish sect that were more concerned with politics than were religion. They were more they were religious, but they were only focused only, mostly on politics. Sounds like a few denominations that we know about that have been in trouble lately. They were really concerned about politics and culture around them more than they were the religion. So you have the Pharisees that were really focused on religion, man-made religion, but and hated Rome. So they hated politics. Then you had the Herodians that just were all political. That's all they thought about. Um, that they were, had nothing to do with religion. And then you had a religious group that all they concerned about was politics. So why were they working together? Well, because they needed 
think about this, as they came and asked a question about taxes, the Pharisees who hated Rome, who were asking about taxes, said, we can trap Jesus. We need a pro-Roman witness to testify that Jesus is an insurrectionist. And if Jesus is an insurrectionist, the Herodians will tell Rome, and Rome will come and arrest Jesus and maybe put him to death because he's a zealot. So that's the idea here. So that's why the, so the Pharisees, they were anti-Rome, and they needed to be there so that way all the Jews would see Jesus answer in such a way that to entrap him to say, see, look, he's not from God. So you have the Herodians cooperating because they don't like Jesus, and they have the Pharisees cooperating because they don't like Jesus. So the Pharisees and the Herodians agreed that they were against Jesus, and even though they didn't agree with their religion or politics. And we see that happening today. We have a lot of religious groups that don't agree with political groups and a lot of political groups that don't agree with religion at all, but they're all coming together a lot to attack God and His Word. It's pretty amazing. I want you to notice, do you notice in verse, the end of verse 16? They sent their disciples and the Herodians saying what? Teacher, we know you are true. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's almost like they're saying, oh, we give up. You, you are true. You are good. And you teach the way of God truthfully. Wow. So they were giving him dignity by calling him teacher, respect and dignity. But they were also saying, you're, you have integrity and honesty. You're, you have integrity and honesty. You're about truth and teaching what is true. And you don't care about anybody's opinion. Right? You have, you have morals. You're in good standing. You're, you, you don't care. You don't, you're not swayed by other people's thoughts and appearance. You have conviction. You're impartial. Now, did they really believe any of this? We know by context they do not. It's interesting as we look at our culture how true this is. How many people come to you that don't agree with God and they use flattering words to misdirect you and ensnare you? It's amazing how many times people give me flattery because I'm a pastor, but yet are, are trying to entrap me, to ensnare me, so that way they, their philosophy, their ideas about living are true and mine are not. As we think about culture and conflict, we learn a lot about Jesus because Jesus does not focus on this, but He looks and He focuses on what's true. The other thing that's part of the entrapment or the instruments is not only they use flattery, deception, but they used government. They used political problems. They used taxes specifically. Taxes isn't the problem. It's just in, it's a band-aid over the, their heart. They hated authority. They did not want to submit to authority. And so they didn't want to submit to Jesus as well as most of them didn't want to submit to Rome. That's a real issue. But they're using taxes to disguise the real problem, and they're using government. Tell us then what you think. Verse 17, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? In fact, their question is seen in Mark 12, verse 15, that we read earlier. Shall we give or shall we not give? By the way, the, wor the wording that they say in give in Mark is different. They're saying... 
it's like they had a choice. They're saying, well, the reality is, you know, you know, we can choose whether we want to or not. Is that true? That's the wording. You notice the word taxes here? It's actually the word for tribute. Guess where that came from? They stole it. The Greeks stole it from the Latin form of census. What do we, what do we have every four years? We have a census, right? Or 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. Tell me. It's every four years we have the Olympics, right? But unless we have COVID. But <laughs> that's getting really weird with Olympics this year. People telling that, you know, they can't compete, you know, because they, they have too many hormones or they haven't, you know. It's really, if you watch, it's really getting weird. Uh, here's the thing. Census is so that they know how much taxes every area should pay, right? Ta- we have census so they know how many representatives they have so they can represent you. I'll use that term loosely, right? Uh, but the idea is, is the same co- conflict that we have with our representatives Israel was having with their representatives, the Herodians. They hated taxes. They hated the census. It's from the Latin word census. The Romans counted all the citizens and made each one of them pay a tribute to Caesar. So they had to pay at least one day wage to Caesar, and they hated that. We don't want to pay a tribute. They were using things like on the, the coins... Um, it, we don't want to worship Caesar. Caesar claims to be God. We don't want, so they said, why should we, if we pay to Caesar, it's worshiping him. We don't want to worship. And they, they were upset. Jews were upset. You know, Rome imposed, by the way, they had a property tax. They were required to pay one-tenth of, of their income, of wine, of grain, of anything. They could convert it into, into money and give it to as a tax. They had business tax. If you had a business, you had a tax. Does this kind of sound familiar? You know, we can blame the Romans for this. Uh, they had income tax. Whatever you made as an individual, you had to pay an, an income tax. By the way, the income tax was very simple. It was just 1% of anything you made went to Rome. They had, score one for Rome. That's a little bit easier, right? They also had a census tax. They didn't have... Uh, purchase tax, you know, all the things that we, they didn't have all those, but they had income, business, property, and, and census. Can you imagine, were they excited about tax? This is great. We can confuse Jesus. We can get everybody to hate Jesus. They will love us, right? Get everybody away from Jesus, and they will love us because we are going to get rid of Jesus. We're going to also show that taxes are bad and we don't have to support Rome. They're going to do two birds with one stone. They're going to get the Jews on, all the Jews are going to be on our side and all the Romans are going to hate Jesus and we're going to fight against Rome. We want the kingdom now concept. (laughs) So if if Jesus said they should pay the tax, the entire Jewish population would be angered with him. And if he said, no, you shouldn't pay the tax, then the Romans would kill him. Right? So there's. But here's the real conflict. In your notes, you'll see it. Here's the real conflict. The real conflict was a religious conflict that we see here. Don't 
miss it. Taxes is not the issue. Government is not the issue. Well, it, it becomes an issue. But the real issue is religion. Who do they follow? Where does the authority come from? And this is man-made philosophy in religion, the Pharisees. Also, there was the issue of oppression. Rome was oppressing the Jews. This is the issue. There was, this is the cultural conflict. It was a religious conflict, it was an oppression conflict, and it was a political conflict. Does that sound like today? Yeah. I love God's Word. It is amazing. It's alive. It's active. It's, this is relevant for today because this is what Jesus was facing when they came to Him with these words. I want you to understand the problem. Okay, understand, here's the real problem. This is the heart issue. Cultural consumed, culturally consumed hearts that are standing before biblical truth using, they use flattering words for their own advantage and they use schemes to destroy. All the ethnic and, and cultural issues and oppression and politics that we see today any, when our hearts are consumed, when anybody's heart is consumed culturally, when that's their heart in focus, when they stand before God, they always use, especially in our text, they're using flattering words for their advantage to gain an up advantage. And we see that today. And they use schemes or scheming to destroy. That's the reality. That's the real cultural conflict in which the church finds itself. As we stand for God's truth, as we stand for Christ, and we face people that their heart is centered on the culture, we need to be aware that they're going to use words, especially flattering ones, twisting words, and they're going to scheme to diminish God and His Word. I want you to realize that. That's the reality in which the conflict we face. It's not the taxes in this text. It's not your taxes, although God does answer that. I want you to see, as we lead up to the answer here, as we lead up to the answer, do you see Christ's wisdom? He immediately focused on the heart. Guys, here, let me give you some advice. When you face the culture, as Jesus faced this cultural issue, look at the person's heart in front of you. Where's their heart? Don't look at the problem that they throw at you, the question that they give you, right? You know, God is love. That's true, but it's not true many times. It's a flattering sense of word. It's a scheme to get you to ignore the rest of Scripture so that way you will agree with transgenderism, uh, LGBTQ. All of these things that are being faced today with politics and, and ethnic uh, issues that are going on with CRT. All of this, they'll use the flattering words of God is love and peace and all these things. They'll use good things to get you to buy into the, the, the surface level argument and to get your heart away from the truth of who Jesus truly is and that He is authoritative. He is the Creator. He is God. Do you see Christ's wisdom, his discernment in verse 18? He says he's aware of their malice. Are you aware of the cultural malice against Christ, against following God's word? If you're not, you're going to be blindsided when you're hit 
with a problem. Christ was not blindsided. He perceived, he knew what was right. By the way, did you see his directness? Why do you put me to the test? <laughs> Another way to put it is, you can sit there and you can answer. When somebody asks you a question, like, well, isn't God love? Well, why are you testing me with that? What's your goal? That's what Christ was saying. Why are you putting me to the test? And then he says, you're a hypocrite. Because they don't really believe in God's love. And the reality is, is Jesus knew that the Pharisees wanted to destroy him. And he knew the Herodians loved the Romans. And he called them hypocrites. It's such an, Jesus' accusation of the Pharisees was very serious. And again, he turns the tables and he proceeds to unmask the plot against him. Here's the thing is it's good to be direct when we're dealing with cultural issues. It's good to ask questions. Do you see immediately he goes to questions and he goes to directness? Look at his answer. By the way, the answer is two major parts. They're parallel parts to an answer. In verse 19, he asks a question. He says, go show me the coin. And he asks this saying, he says, whose likeness and inscription is this? This is an amazing illustration for us as we deal with cultural issues. This is important for us to understand. The words likeness and inscription, two distinct things. Jesus is making a case for why they need to pay their taxes, but then he's making a case for dealing with their heart problem, with authority. He's going to kill two birds with one stone as he answers their question. He takes the coin, the coin that was both inscribed with who was in authority at the time, and it was inscribed so they knew it had the picture, and if they didn't know who the picture was, it was written on who it was. It was interesting uh, because we can give timelines to Scripture because a lot of these coins, which is really cool. But he takes it, and he answers the question, and he says this in our text, therefore, render to Caesar what is Caesar. Pay what is owed to your authority. Who minted the coin? Who owns the coin? This is interesting because when we make money, we always treat money like it's ours. Which is the reality is, is it doesn't have our image on the paper. It doesn't have our inscription on the paper. Or, but if you have gold, it's different, right? <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody said that once to me. But here's the idea. Jesus is going beyond just say, he didn't just say pay your taxes. Jesus says, you do not owe, you do not own it and you owe Rome. Pay it. Pay what you owe. That's what render means. It means to pay back or to give back. It refers specifically to a debt or an obligation. You are indebted and obligated to pay because you owe it to Rome. That is quite a statement. But that statement is not as nearly as impactful as the statement that comes next. We'll get to it in a minute. It's amazing because, by the way, the Jewish perspective is, is that was our money and we can do with it whatever we please. That was their, their idea. 
That was the idea in which we read in Mark. They had this idea that it was our money and we can do whatever we want with it. And they were making excuses of why they shouldn't pay it. And this is the idea. I know it's not in your notes, but the idea here is service rendered in Romans 15. The idea that Jesus says, why, do we, why did they owe the authorities? Why were they indebted to Rome? Why do we owe authorities? Because of the service that is rendered to us. Because service rendered. We are indebted. Romans 13 is amazing. And we miss this a lot of times when we read it. Look at verse 3 of Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. He says this, For rulers are not a terror, but you know sometimes they can be. It's interesting that Paul is saying this because the government kills Paul, right? But he says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? You shouldn't have a fear of one who is in authority. Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God and the avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. Now, Paul is not making a case here that all government is perfect. That is not what he's saying. But listen to that verse 6. This is amazing. Well, verse 5 says, Therefore, one must be subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. It's for our conscience to do what is right with our authorities, those who have authority, because God instituted authority. But listen to this, verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. God put them in authority. They render a service. They do things for you. So you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing, to your very need. Verse 7, pay to all that is owed to them. That word owed there is exact same as what Jesus is saying in Matthew 22 when he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. You owe it to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Whether we like it or not, government performs a service, and we talked about it. We should expect oppression because most all politics are compromised, they're corrupt. It's the reality that Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 5. But here's the thing, they still render a service. We're still indebted to what's out there. They still, we have roads. Some of them are horrible. But, but the idea here is, is we want to make excuses and look at what we think is good or bad. But we still have, for the, short, for the meantime, we still have police officers who are helping. Uh, we, still have, we still have things. Think about the government then and the government now. Government was way more brutal in the Roman period. It was way more hostile to Christians than now. And Paul and Jesus is not making any excuses. Give to authority what is owed to authority. A.W. Pink is a pastor and a theologian, um, amazing writer, kind of hard to understand sometimes, but it's fun to read. Born in the 1800s, died in 1952, but... He said, therefore, in view of the growing disrespect 
for human law and the refusal to render honor to whom honor is due, we need, to be, we need not be surprised that the recognition of the majesty and the authority and the sovereignty of the almighty lawgiver God should recede more and more into the background. And the masses have less and less patience with those who insist upon them. He said, we shouldn't be surprised that God and His authority is going into the background and people hate God's authority. It shouldn't be a surprise because more and more people are fighting against the authority that God has established. Service rendered, but also submission. Why? Because God has called us to submit. We owe it to authorities. What do we owe? We owe them submission. We owe them submission. By the way, this is important because Jesus didn't stop there. He said, render to God what is God's. Well, what do we owe God? The question should be, what don't we owe to God? We owe God everything. I could just put that up there. Everything. But I want you to, real, want you to recognize something. God used the illustration of likeness and inscription to show what belonged to Caesar and how we should act towards that in paying back what is owed, right? And he used taxes as just a mere illustration, but to point to two important things. When we're fighting in the conflict with culture, we need to realize that we pay what is owed to God because we bear God's image. We're image bearers. When, God, when Jesus picked up the coin and said, whose image is on there? When he says, render to God what is God, he's pointing to the fact that we are, not only is the coin bear the image of Caesar, but we bear the image of God. We need to pay our body, our, we need to have physical obedience of worship. Our body, our self, we owe our image and who we are to God. It's not about what other people are. We don't, the wrong way to look at life is to mirror ourselves to somebody and say, well, I don't, I don't live up to Rob. I, I'll never live up to Rob. That's the wrong standard. It's not about Rob. I can never be like Donald. Good, because we only need Donald. It'd be horrible if we had, uh, you know, a hundred Donalds. <laughs> We'd all be doing push-ups on the floor. I, by the way, I sent Donald, I said, I'm not slacking on working out, and I sent him a video of me doing push-ups to prove it. It was kind of a joke, but, <laughs> but the idea is, is we're, not, we're, not, we're not all, you know, Benjamins, praise the Lord, right? Not all of us can fly an airplane. If we did, then none of us could, you know, do other things. We're not all Raul who can play a guitar. Praise the Lord. We have a Raul who can. Praise the Lord. He's teaching other generations to play. So that way they play not to play, but play to worship God. How many times do we focus on the wrong image? Why do you think we have problems with the culture? Because we bear the image of God and they don't like it. The Pharisees were not focused on the image of God and paying what's owed to God. They were focused on the image of authority and their own image of religion. 
The Herodians were focused on the image of politics. The Jewish people were focused on oppression. All of it's wrong. We bear the image of God. Genesis 1, 26-27 says, Let's make them in our image. We are all been minted in heaven. When God saves you and I, when He puts His stamp of approval on us, we are minted in the image of God, not only created as a, in our body, in the womb, when we are conceived and, and we are minted and have the image of God, but when He saves us, we're now minted in the image of Christ. All humans are made in the image of God. This physical obedience, following God's plan, His image in every areas of our living. That's the idea of physical obedience. Following God's plan in area of our life, even though man has distorted it. That's what Romans 1 is all about. They have stopped looking at the image of the Creator and started looking at other images, and it's distorted their view on everything. Why do we have all the philosophies running rampant and the problems we have, it's because they're viewing the wrong image. Verse 21 of Romans 1, it says, For though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were dark. And claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and and animals and creeping things. The science of our culture, the philosophies of our culture, the morality that's been thrown out of our culture is simply this. They have stopped looking at the image of God and started looking at other images. Right? The whole philosophy, it's not science, by the way, but the whole philosophy, and it's not really even a theory by theory definition of... of, um, Gosh, it went right out of my brain. It just, it just left me. Creation. Oh, evolution. There we go. This had no, the, whole, the whole thoughts and philosophy of, of, is to get our mind off of God and put it on an animal. That's where we were created. Now we can act like animals. And it was said, by the way, from a Yale graduate who is promoting CRT, and you can, she's screaming this stuff, screaming profanities. I had to turn it off. I felt bad for Tammy. I was listening to this, and there was F-bombs going off, and I was listening to a person giving a speech at Yale about psychology and philosophy and CRT, and she was just screaming. It was worse than any high school speech I've ever heard, and she's a Yale graduate. Wrong image. Wrong philosophy, wrong image, wrong priorities, wrong cultural worship. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 says, Do you not know that your bodies are a member of Christ? You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. You belong to Christ. Your body, your image no longer belongs to you. Your image belongs to God. Proverbs 3, 9, we always go to 3, 5, and 6, but man, 7 through 9 is amazing. It, it, it amplifies this 3, 5, and 6. But he says in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. It's all about honor God 
with everything you do, Colossians 3, 16 through 17, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether speech, your hands, whatever you do at my land, Lord, it's all about His image. What are you physically doing in your life? The pattern of your life should magnify the image of Christ. That's why we have cultural issues. That's why we get frustrated with the culture. Because we don't belong to the culture. We belong to Christ. It's an image thing. It's also a spiritual thing. Spiritual obedience. Christian, the spiritual obedience is this. It's a Christian pattern of life which is controlled and directed by God's Spirit. Is your, is your mind, is your heart, is it being... Con- the Pharisees weren't, right? Go back to our text. Their whole thing was fighting authority, building up human authority, fighting human authority. It was all about what they wanted. It was about tearing... They believed. They were liberation theology experts, man. They believed. They were CRT people. They were the have-nots, and we are going to destroy the haves. Because if we destroy the haves, then we're going to be the haves. Right? They were, they were, this whole insurrection and zealot, it's exactly what we're seeing today. Their philosophy, their ideologies was no different than what we're seeing today. But God, when he says, render to God what belongs to God, did you realize that we have the image of Christ and we are, in, we have the Holy Spirit is inscribed under our heart? Did you know you are both When Jesus said, where is the coin? You are the coin. You are the image and the very inscription of God. If you wonder about that, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21, he states this. He says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. You were established and formed in your walk with God, in your spiritual life by Christ. And has anoint, he has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is our inscription, our seal that is stamped on our hearts that says, you belong to God. When This is important for us to understand. When he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, he's saying, look, that is just... That was stamped, it was, it, it was inscribed, it belongs to Caesar, it's all about government, give it to them. That's the authority you owe them. But the real question, he now turns to the Pharisees and he says this, this is the major statement, render to God what is God's. Do you belong to God this morning? Many people claim to belong to God but you are carrying his image and his inscription. And the reality is he's asking this question. Is he saying, you owe your life to God? You owe your life to God. That's a, that's a pretty strong statement. Are you paying what is owed to God? Are you honoring him? Romans 12, 1 through 2, it's an easy one because it says, you know, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable act of worship. Render to Him your bodies, right? That's physical. We owe Him our lives. We owe Him everything. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We don't have any stability in life 
without Christ. Malachi 1 and verses 6 through 8, he says in verse 6, he says, A son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am your father, then where is my honor? If we claim that God is our father, then how are we honoring him? We owe him honor because he is our father. He begat us. The reality is, is that he saved us from our sins. He adopted us into his family. We owe him everything. Give him your body. Stop, you know, that's why I, I was confronted, you know. Every one of you, we, we, we conf- you, have a, you have something that you're addicted to. For me, it was Pepsi. And I would drink five, five to sometimes two, two liters a day. I, I did balloon up to 250 pounds. I dropped 20 pounds within the first couple of weeks when I stopped. Now, my general rule is, is I will only drink it if I go out to a restaurant. And it's amazing. I can only now consume like half of a, of a glass or half of a, you know, many times Jared will give me a, a Pepsi. I'll drink half of it and then I'll put half of it away or I'll just give it back to him. I can't drink it. All. It's just too much sugar. It's, and I realize it's not good for me and it's not good for my body. I'm not working out because I'm old. I'm working out trying to take care of my body. That's, in fact, that's the best thing about Donald. His, he doesn't want you to have the, you know, an Olympian body. He wants you to have a body that you can serve God with, right? The first time I met him, he asked me a question. He says, do you want, do you, do you want to deal with your pain and do you want to honor God with your body? <laughs> I was like, Wow, I just met him. <laughs> He's challenging me because I know I need surgery on my back. He says, have you given your body to God? I'm trying. Malachi says, 1-6, where's my honor? How about this, First Thessalonians 4-3, we owe him our personal holiness. Our body doesn't belong to us. He says in verse 3, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that's your process of following God and becoming more like God and following in the image of God, not like Him in all of His being God, but in the image and attributes of God, you should abstain from sexual immorality. Control your body. That's God's will for our life, right? Is to have a holy life. Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called right? You were called by the Spirit. Jesus saved you. He, he died for you. He paid for your sins. You were called. You were saved. You were adopted into His family, given the Spirit as a guarantee for what is going to come in the future. You have the image of God, and you have the stamp of God in your life. You're God's coin. Are you rendering to God what you owe Him? It goes into our obedient life. It fits what Jesus said. In, if you go further in Matthew 22, and the, the Jews were not, they were like, man, he stumped us. Let's do it again. What's the greatest commandment? Right? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Why? Why did he add all of those words to describe? I can't remember, my mind is blank. I need my... Laurel's not here, my English person. But he used all those descriptive words to describe how we love God, right? Because we bear the image of God and we're stamped with the Holy Spirit. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that way you will love your neighbor as yourself. 
the two greatest commandments. John 14 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Erasmus, in the very beginning, this whole idea of image was a problem way right after Jesus died in the early church. He says, give back to God which has the image and subscription of God, the soul. Which group are you? Are you consumed by politics? Are you consumed by religion, just being a good person? Do you just want to be good and hold all of the authority in your life? Are you consumed by politics and politics is the point of your life, the image that you seek? Are you the Sadducees that are good people but are pursuing politics as the focus point of their life? Jesus simply says, you belong to me, your soul, your heart. He says, you owe it to me, your life. Live your life as if you owe it to me. Do you live your life that way to God? Do you love Him? Are you surrendered to Him? Give back to God what you owe Him. Love Him. You owe Him love. He deserves our worship, our adoration, our praise. Humble yourself before God. Give it yourself to the Lord. This is how we deal with culture. You will see the conflict in culture coming right at you if you're an image bearer of God. Render to God was God. He turned it right around. He dealt with the cultural problem, but he went right after the heart. Who do you give the authority of your life to? It belongs to God. It belongs to Him. You are His coin. Are you, he, are you taking, He's taking census One day he will return and those that belong to him will go to heaven with him, be caught up in the air, we'll have a marriage supper of the Lamb, we'll be united with the groom who's gone to prepare a place for us and we'll be united with him and we'll go before the marriage supper of the Lamb and we will have this amazing spread as we spend that with the Lord for those that belong to Christ who are saved from their sin. The reality is is there's some, like the Sadducees, There's some like the Pharisees who are not saved. They just come. They're the terrors. They're the people that look like believers, but they're not believers. And they have not given their life to the Lord. They have not surrendered to God. Is that you this morning? The Holy Spirit's calling. He wants to put a stamp on your life and say, you belong to me. If he is calling you this morning, surrender to him. Surrender to the call. How are you going to respond? Here I am, Lord. Save me from my sin. I am not good. I need you. Will you respond this morning? As I'm praying and as we sing, if that's you, surrender. If you are a believer and you're struggling with the culture around you, remember, you are God's coin. Give to God. Be focused. He is your authority, not the culture. Not the culture. In that, you will have the strength as God's coin to deal with the culture because you don't belong here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this teaching, the gleaning that we can find from your life, Jesus, the life that you lived and the way you responded 
to cultural issues. Lord, may it help us to realize, to identify that we struggle with authority. We struggle with proper authority. We get focused on the misuse of authority in the culture. We get focused on how authority treats us. We get focused on how we should respond to authority. May, Lord, we just simply obey authority. But, Lord, ultimately, may we realize that you are our authority in that we will honor the authority around us in the way that you would desire. We will honor you as we give you the authority in our life. I pray that would be true. And if anyone here is not saved, that they realize that they are a sinner and they realize they're not good and they've been trying to be religious and go to heaven be good, Lord, that they would surrender to you and be saved. That they would say, here I am, Lord, I need to be saved. I'm a sinner and I know that I can't go to heaven because I'm not good enough. You demand perfection. You are holy. We are not. But Christ died on on a cross for our sins because he is perfect. He is holy. And he provided the very sacrifice that we needed. So, Lord, I pray there was somebody here that would respond to that and surrender their life to you, that they would put their faith and trust in you. The act that Jesus did on our behalf, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, we praise you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.